The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa. Thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome veterans and active service members who are tuning in from around the world and also new listeners who are joining us on affiliates in New York, Wyoming, New Hampshire, Washington, Idaho, and from coast to coast. This week, we're going to take a break from nonstop election coverage to look at the really big picture. Sometimes we get caught up in so much bickering and minutia, we lose sight of our place in the universe. And so uh, we're going to try to put politics into the right perspective. In a moment, one of the first men to walk on the moon, astronaut Buzz Aldrin, will be joining the program to explain just how close we are to a manned mission to Mars and why it's so important to keep our eye on the prize. So stow away those tray tables and tighten your seatbelts as we prepare to travel to the mysterious red planet. But before Mr. Aldrin joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Edwin Eugene Aldrin Jr. was born in Montclair, New Jersey. He earned the nickname Buzz during childhood, courtesy of one of his sisters. Aldrin earned his undergraduate degree from West Point, after which he served in the United States Air Force as a jet fighter pilot. In 1963, Aldrin earned his doctorate degree from MIT. His thesis was devoted to manned orbital rendezvous, paving the way for Aldrin to be admitted into NASA's astronaut program and earning him his second nickname, Dr. Rendezvous. From here, Aldrin was unstoppable. He was selected for the Gemini 12 mission where he set the record for extravehicular activity and also handpicked for the history-making Apollo 11 mission where he and Neil Armstrong became the first humans to set foot on the moon. Following a distinguished career with NASA, Aldrin headed up the Air Force Test Pilot School at Edwards Air Force Base for a brief period before retiring in 1972. But Aldrin has an interesting definition of retirement. Since that time, he's authored several best-selling books, founded the Space Studies Graduate Program at the University of North Dakota, starred in several movies and Dancing with the Stars, created his own computer strategy game, launched the Share Space Foundation, and started Buzz Aldrin Enterprises. And in between all of that, he designed the Aldrin Cycler, something we're going to hear more about later in today's program. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report space pioneer and American hero, Mr. Buzz Aldrin. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Aldrin. Hey, I'm happy to be with you as I'm uh, driving streets of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Not not any 
collection tour, of course. Uh, but I uh, have an update or two. Uh, I'm not sure you mentioned that I uh, don't live in Los Angeles anymore. Uh, about a year ago, I moved to the Florida coast at Satellite Beach, uh, and I uh, have founded the Buzz Aldrin Space Institute at Florida Institute of Technology. Yes, well, um, the line of accomplishments that you have achieved since your days at NASA are so extensive. I don't know, Mr. Aldrin, if we could get them all in. (laughs) That's all right. I'll try and gloss over what's significant. Now, first, let me congratulate you on the release of your newest book, titled No Dream is Too High, and we're going to talk about the life lessons that you write about in the book in just a moment. But before we do, let's talk about something that you have been campaigning for since the 60s, a manned mission to Mars. Now, as I understand it, you feel that the moon could easily be set up as a hub or a staging station for travel to Mars. Is that right? Uh, Not exactly, uh uh, those technical terms, uh, more of a proving ground that is very attractive to international partners, which uh, might be called an organization of global lunar consortium of nations. And what would be there at the moon would be a global lunar complex of many, many different uh, uh, features for use by international partners who in the near future could join the U.S. being uh, moon lander capable nations and that's uh, European Space Agency, uh, Russia, Japan, Space Agency, JAXA, and of course China. But I do believe that when you talk about colonizing in outer space, your most of your focus has been on colonizing Mars and perhaps That's using right. the the complex on the Moon as a place to get acclimated to train uh, as a maybe a way station uh, for vehicles to refuel, reload up before they make the longer journey to Mars. Is that right? Uh, you're coming pretty close. There. Okay, I'm glad I am. <laughs> uh, a lot of people uh, think that uh, we got to make a choice between uh, picking up uh, where we left off 50 years ago uh, and concentrating our efforts there. Um, that would be competing probably with the Chinese. And that's not a very smart thing to do. Uh it's much better to work with the Chinese, but to invite them into uh, a uh, established uh, organization that is gearing for the future that consists of the other three nations, space agencies, and the U.S. in a uh, unique position of... Uh, guiding, technically assisting uh, with the elements particularly needed to be able to uh, carry on 
missions to Mars uh, a little bit later, and that emphasizes a uh, fuel depot on the surface of the moon, perhaps uh, powered by a nuclear reactor, and uh, uh, available to refuel spacecraft in the vicinity of the moon, or that would be preparing to depart uh, from Earth vicinity toward Mars. And that would mostly be uh, refueling in low Earth orbit. Yes, and I think that one of the most outstanding recommendations you've made is that the first colonists should plan on a one-way trip to Mars. Uh, They should volunteer as colonists that are going to go there and create an actual community rather than think about going and returning. Well, I I know from experience that that if I begin to um, introduce a uh, sequential evolutionary with intermediate objectives toward Mars, that I'll turn off a lot of people who, who in the government feel like they would be responsible for sending U.S. citizens on a one-way trip where they might die. Well, so we have to educate some people. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is most uh, all, if not all, plans for going to Mars now involve uh, visits and yes. departing Mars and leaving it empty or not not um, occupied yes. uh, and then picking that up again and then leaving it empty and that's just not acceptable uh, you can uh, have uh, smaller numbers of people. Yes, well, I think you're, what you're talking about is a is a longer-term plan. Unfortunately, we have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Buzz Aldrin. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So what is it about your Brut Cuvée that beat all the other competitors around the world? We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top-tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best U.S. Sparkling Wine Award. We fared really well overall. We had three wines win best of class, which was great. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea, or find us online at caracciolicellars.com, or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722. Hi there, I'm Bob Eubanks. You know, as part of Hollywood for a long time, I've seen my fair share of celebrities get in trouble with the IRS. Well, there's one name I trust, the Tax Defense Group. They're the most trusted name in tax. So if you owe more than $10,000 to the IRS, you really need to call my friends at the Tax Defense Group. 
Ignoring the IRS is not the solution. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, seize your home or business. But the Tax Defense Group could put a stop to all of that and tailor a program that would reduce your tax debt to pennies on the dollar. you got to love that. So don't just take my word for it. Call them. Find out for yourself. They offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. And they're open 24 hours a day because they know that tax debt doesn't sleep either. Call now for your free and confidential tax analysis from the most trusted name in tax. Call 800-261-8109. 800-261-8109. Once again, the turning of the seasons finds us tasked with holiday shopping. But shopping for made in China gifts at the big box store brings to mind Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, It is a cold, lifeless business when you go to the shops to buy something which does not represent your life and talent. Here is a very simple way to buy gifts that do represent your life and talent. Shop the stores that display the Think Local First logo. Think Local First businesses are owned by your friends and neighbors right here in Santa Cruz County. When you buy gifts from Think Local First merchants, more of the money you spend will stay right here in the county so you can spend it again and again and again. Furthermore, the gifts you give from Think Local First merchants are really the gifts of community, your community. December is Shop Local Month in Santa Cruz County. Shop for gifts that represent your life and talent. Shop the stores that display the Think Local First logo. Thank you. Here's Rick and Rosie discussing their private proclivities on the air. I'm looking at a picture of him and he has got either false eyelashes that are very, very fine or he has amazing upper and lower lashes that look positively gorgeous. And he's a guy. He's 17. It's not wrong. I'm just saying that as a straight guy, and I think I'm overwhelming majority of straight dudes who won't. Would you for Halloween? Depends on what I'm going as. If I'm a vampire, yeah, I'll cover myself in, in white, but I would never go. No, I'm not talking about covering yourself in white. I'm just talking about just having... What would my costume be? I don't know. You could wear a dress. <laughs> so you, you want me just, just to go as a woman? I can see you in a dress. Oh, my goodness. Well, I've, I've, I, the only time I've dressed up like a woman is when you and I swap clothes for whatever reason. I don't understand why. <laughs> Don't miss Good Morning Monterey Bay weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. on KSCO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is legendary space pioneer Buzz Aldrin. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that this idea of uh, visiting the moon or Mars shows uh, a lack of a long-term objective, and you'd like to see that objective be a staged plan for building an international complex on the moon to, to prepare for an eventual colonization on Mars. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to finish that thought. Uh, well, exactly, uh now, the first uh, NASA human mission on Orion is uh, is not scheduled until 2023, but I'm trying to do some partnerships and some finagling with contracts out of NASA headquarters so we can have a spacecraft in orbit, uh, a human spacecraft, 
in 2018 that can be visited and then another spacecraft in uh, lunar orbit by 2019 so that it can be in celebration of July 20th, 2019, which is the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 first landing on the moon. I see. So you're trying to time it to the anniversary. Yes, because uh, there will be uh, many observances of what I'm, uh, what people are going to be calling the uh, Apollo uh, Golden Legacies. These are the 50th uh, anniversaries of some of the last. Gemini missions, uh, and uh, notably, one week after the next president takes office, we'll be observing the 50th memorial of the tragedy of Apollo 1. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that occasion is, I'm sure, going to be noted one week earlier when the president, next president, is inaugurated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think by the time of 2019 that he would uh, be coached and encouraged by many people with like minds to uh, make the following observation on July 20th, 2019. I believe that this nation, within two decades, should lead international crews to land on Mars. Now, that'll be by 2040. And, of course, many things need to be done leading up to that. And that will involve expanding a replacement space station in low Earth orbit for primarily commercial reasons, and it will be uh, located very close proximity to the Chinese space station uh, at uh, 20 or at 42 degrees, the same inclination. And we will be building up uh, facilities at the moon that will be uh, much more attractive and much easier to do than the Apollo missions for the nations of uh, Europe, Russia, and Japan. And, of course, uh, China would be uh, most welcome to be uh, a part of that as uh, that is built up uh, to test the designed lunar base by designed by the U.S., which will be the base that we would be putting on Mars. Mm-hmm. Now, all of these things are actually dependent on having an inexpensive cargo vehicle of some type. I mean, we can't really accelerate 
the build out of any of these programs, not space stations, not a complex on the moon, not colonization in Mars, unless we can have a re, a, a fairly economical, large payload, um, uh, reusable orbital vehicle of some type. So you must be very thrilled about Jeff Bezos's uh, recent success. Oh, well, I certainly am. Now, he's working toward suborbital flights. Yes. Which would take uh, tourists uh, up over 100 kilometers. Now, that's quite a ways away from being able to take people into orbit. Sure, but it's a bit of a first step. Well, but uh, (laughs) we need a step that has to be undone or untied. Mm -hmm. That is a government-designed heavy-lift launch provider that is built on 1970s technology that supported the shuttle, uh, which is no longer flying, and and was going to be a part of President Bush's uh, Constellation program, which was canceled, but it would have been uh, called Ares 5, but now it has the name of Space Launch System. Again, a government design, but it, it stems from early technologies, much earlier, and uh, many people engineers from various backgrounds think that it is just not uh, suitable for what we should be doing in the near future. Yeah, it's old technology. And the of so, course, the problem still gets back to how do you get these large payloads of material out of the Earth's atmosphere? Well, the big, uh, the big problem is political. It's because uh, of the Washington, D.C. establishment. We've heard that term recently, uh, but that applies to uh, the congressional appropriations that are allocated to NASA uh, that uh, cause NASA to build certain features in certain states and certain uh, congressional districts. Yep. And of course, all of those uh, uh, have uh, congressmen, senators that want to see things done in uh, their state. So, uh, yeah. I'm involved in. Well, it's a big problem. I mean, we've got Congress people who think that you can make incremental cuts of budgets and still maintain uh, a program that is 10, 20, 30 years out. That's like having half the money for surgery and asking your surgeon to just do half the job. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. We've got to take a sh- another commercial break, but stay where you are. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Aldrin Mars Cycler something that you really want to hear about. You're listening to the Costa Report. Are you feeling a little weaker and less like yourself as you age? 
Studies show you can lose up to 24% of your muscle from age 40 to 70. This is often a natural process of muscle loss that begins after age 40 and can accelerate if you're suffering from illness or injury, making it harder to stay independent and do the things you love. Ensure, the number one doctor-recommended brand has a nutritional shake for you. Only Ensure and Live has HMB plus 20 grams of protein that work together to help rebuild muscle. HMB is a compound found in small amounts in your body and in certain foods. It can stop muscle loss, but it's difficult to get an enough HMB in your diet. Just two servings of Insurin Live Daily provides a recommended level of HMB and 40 grams of protein. What does this all mean? Insurin Live can give you strength and energy to help you get back to doing what you love. Insure. Always be you. Visit insuremuscle.com for savings on Insure and Live. Hello, Dave Michaels here, SEMD with Longevity. Now, I know you probably have a lot of questions about Longevity. I'm going to give you a number that I want you to call. That number is 831-218-5726. That's 831-218-5726. I want you to call that number, leave a message, and we'll get back to you with the answer. Whether it's about the Healthy Start Pack, Beyond Tangy Tangerine, becoming a CEO, or finding a distributor in your area. 831-218-5726. That's 831-218-5726. Feel free to leave a text as well. 831-218-5726. If you have any questions about longevity, give that number a call. Leave a brief message and we will get back to you with the answer. If you want to place an order, call that number. If you want to become a distributor, call that number. If you want to become a CEO, call that number, 831-218-5726. Dave Michaels, SEMD, with Longevity. Thank you. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Hi, um, I'd like to report a bear hug. Uh-huh, okay. Well, we were building a bonfire, and I, I saw some, like, dry brush and leaves around, so, you know, I, I said to move the bonfire somewhere else, and out of nowhere, Smokey Bear shows up and hugs me. So you noticed some wildfire hazards and moved your bonfire to a safer location. Yeah. Yeah, that's Smokey, all right. He likes it when people help prevent wildfires. It hits him close to home. Not everybody gets the hug, my friend. So that's pretty special to get a hug from Smokey Bear. Ah, so it was him. Guys, I told you it was Smokey. Okay, well, congratulations, my friend. And thanks for calling. There are many ways to prevent a wildfire. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service, Ad Council, and your state forester. Get connected with one of California's most exciting business communities every Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m. on the Think Local First radio program. Tune in as Kat Hernandez, Sally Kane, and Andrea Molinauer from The Food Lounge, Dick Scapatoni from Little Biz, Jill Salito from Modern Life and Home, and Michael Olson from KSCO host local business people for a conversation about doing business and staying in business in Santa Cruz County. Think Local First County of Santa Cruz is a network of independent and locally owned businesses and community organizations joining together to promote economic vitality and preserve the unique character of our community. So don't Don't miss our program this Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Think Local First Radio is brought to you in part by Staff of Life Natural Foods Market at 1266 Soquel Avenue in Santa Cruz. Think Local First and eat local first by shopping at genuine Santa Cruz tradition. The local Staff of Life Natural Foods Market. 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest is Buzz Aldrin. And before the break, you were speaking about the fact that politics plays a bigger role than many of us think in terms of both the ability to fund these long-term space exploration projects, but also sometimes our ability to collaborate with scientists in other nations. Did you want to make a few more comments on that? Uh, yes, I uh, um, I did. What what I'm working on right now is uh, um, trying to get a partnership between several companies, uh, a major company like uh, Lockheed Martin or Boeing, that could partner with uh, a company that can do inflatable spacecraft, uh, Bigelow, Mm-hmm. And another company that uh, has the Cygnus spacecraft, which takes cargo up to the space station, it's Orbital ATK. And uh, Bigelow could put a space hab up in low Earth orbit, and uh, Orbital ATK could put. Uh, uh, slightly revised, upgraded Cygnus spacecraft in a lunar polar orbit. Mm-hmm. And that would be the starting of building up the facility in low Earth orbit so that it begins to look like the cycling spacecraft that eventually will be in a permanent orbit uh, around both Mars, Earth, and Mars. It's a permanent orbit that can have spacecraft join up with it as it swings by the Earth and then get off of it when it swings by Mars. And if a spacecraft is around only one gravitational field, like the Earth, we can still call it a cycler if it is something that looks very much like it, but a very early version, and we will be uh, growing it more and more to look like the finished project, which will be taking landers from Earth and taking them to Mars, where they will land on Mars or uh, uh, on the moon of Mars. Now, most of the people listening today, Mr. Aldrin, are not scientists. We're not astronauts and, and aren't necessarily trained in, in the field of, of any scientific endeavor. To me, the best analogy of this is the way that the trains work. They go in a loop, right? And you can get off at any station, get your business done, get back on again. Are we talking about something that's similar to that, that loops around Mars and the moon and the Absolutely. Earth? And Is that what we're talking about? Absolutely. And it goes back to uh, after I retired uh, from the Air Force, I uh, discovered in 1985 that after working on Earth and moon cycling orbits. Yes. Complete that NASA wasn't too interested in those. So it was suggested by a retired uh, administrator of NASA who uh, had presided over 
our first landing on the moon uh, in 1969. So he encouraged me to look at Mars. And after uh, uh, discovering the great similarity, uh, I was able to discover a Aldrin cycler that would swing by the Earth five months later, swing by Mars, and then come back and do that again every 26 months. And there's only one orbit like that. And that's the frequency every 26 months that the Earth catches up with Mars. And you can transfer between Earth and Mars or Mars to Earth. So this is a wonderful thing. That what, what this is for our audience listening today, what this is, this is a similar to a subway system or a train system that is in a constant looping uh, system, except for that it's only going to stop at your station every 26 months or so. Then you can board it and you can get off and, and you'll be able to either get off at the moon or get off on Mars. Uh, and if you think no, about not, that... Not the moon. Not the moon. You want... So you won't be able to stop at the moon? You, you, There would be no way to unload at the moon? No, no. Okay, only in Mars. All right. Well, I didn't I didn't understand that. I need to go back to my, my science courses. No, no, no. Uh, because this has to be understood by congressional staff people and congressmen and uh, senators and uh, White House uh, staff people uh, and, and people all over the nation. So that's why I'm uh, trying to be as uh, basic and and, uh, straightforward as I can. Now, this Aldrin Cycler in 1985 uh, was not accepted immediately. It was noted, uh, but recently Purdue University has uh, uh, investigated that cycler and with my encouragement, came up with uh, a better cycler, but it doesn't do it in the same 26 months. It does it in twice that, 52 months. Mm-hmm. So you need two cyclers that can then uh, have the additional feature that they can swing by the Earth a year and a half later. They swing by the Earth again after resupplying from the Earth. Yes. How they can take... And the wonderful thing about this is this can be set up so that there are regularly scheduled large payloads that can move between the Earth and Mars. Well, not quite, but you're you're trying real hard. I am trying hard, Mr. Aldrin. I'm, thank you for acknowledging that. <laughs> now, this cycler swings uh, by the Earth at uh, a relatively high velocity, and it has taken uh, a fair amount of fuel to establish it, but once established, yes. uh, then it doesn't require any fuel to speak of, but it still requires to rendezvous with that uh, a, a more more amount of velocity and fuel than you would want to uh, use for yeah. delivering cargo, food, um, modules that People would be living in, building the base. But when you're delivering uh, people, crew members, uh, you want to get them there in about six months. Mm -hmm. So that time, 
but we want to build up the base on Mars before we put the people there. So we learned how to do that for progressively uh, one, two, three, four different nations when they develop their space programs to be able to occupy the, the design base uh, at the moon that we designed and they built and then they landed. But we bring them together because they're not going to all land maybe half a mile apart, maybe a mile apart. So the U.S. has the task of assembling and connecting from a distance. Yes, being a leader, a leader and bringing everyone together and coordinating this effort, I think is what you're saying. And we want to develop the capability of turning the ice that's in some permanently darkened, shadowed areas for millions and millions of years, radiating heat away so the temperature is minus 250 degrees centigrade. Mm -hmm. And there's ice in there, and we have to uh, get that. Mr. Aldrin, we have to take another hard break, but please stay where you are. When we come back, we'll talk about more about these international space agency cooperations uh, and the key to getting to Mars. You're listening to the Costa Report. Are you struggling with addiction or alcohol problems? If you're depressed, drinking, and using drugs, you may need help. And the Affordable Care Act guarantees coverage of substance abuse. I knew I could get myself out of this. I just needed some hope and some help. I took the first step to recovery when I made the call. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-962-6969. I feel like I'm losing control. I'm afraid I'll lose my job or even my family. Call now for hope and help with proven gentle recovery programs. I never thought that I could be somebody who didn't drink and use drugs. I'm in recovery, getting the help I need. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-962-6969. 800-962-6969. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, Big Data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. Hi, registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years. And what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, 
it may change your life. Hormones. We hear the word all the time. When it comes to health and longevity, no aspect of our biochemistry is more relevant than the efficient and effective functioning of the hormones. The study of the hormones dates back 4,000 years to the ancient Chinese who used extracted substances, today thought to be sex hormones, from urine and used them medicinally to improve health and longevity. Later on, Indian physicians and their Greek and Roman counterparts recommended the use of seaweed to treat neck swelling, which we now know to be related to the condition of the thyroid. Our modern understanding of these essential and powerful biochemicals began in the late 19th century, when the famous neurologist Charles Braun Saccard injected himself with a mixture of ground-up, hormone-rich dog testicles and reported a marked improvement in his strength, stamina, and ability to concentrate. Although there's over 25 principal hormones produced in the various glands, from a physical perspective, there are two major control points for all of them, what we eat and how we breathe. In other words, every morsel of food that enters our mouths and every molecule of air that passes into our lungs and into our blood exerts an effect, for better or worse, on our hormones. That means that no matter what our health issues are, by paying attention to digestion and dietary choices and healthy respiration, hormonal health, and ultimately all the markers of our overall well-being can be optimized. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool video. Too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Buzz Aldrin, who I am doing my best to keep up with. And who has a new book out titled No Dream is Too High. Uh, I have to once again mention that uh, he seems like that 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 to me seemed like the perfect title uh, of a book from a man who set historic records so high above our planet. I apologize, Mr. Aldrin, for having to interrupt you to go to break. But you were beginning to talk about the ice, which can be found in the valleys of Mars. Uh, No, it's at the moon. The moon. Well, haven't they found? Uh, didn't they? Haven't they located some uh, ice patches? Yeah, yes, yes. yeah. Yes. And on Mars as well. Yeah, That's right. Uh, we haven't uh, really pinned down exactly where the ice is that's left over from oceans. Yes. At one time. Yes. A couple of parts of Mars, and then. Uh, the lack of a magnetic field allowed the atmosphere to be stripped away by the uh, the solar wind that comes from the sun. Yes, we're learning a lot about those solar winds these days. And without that, the atmosphere uh, is dissipated some, and it's carbon dioxide much lower pressure, like about 100,000 feet here. So then the oceans freeze and the winds blow and the winds blow dust that covers up the oceans after some have uh, evaporated a fair amount. So that's sort of the conditions 
at least that's my version of uh, mm-hmm. the conditions at Mars. Now, at the moon, never had an atmosphere, never had any lakes, but the ice, the water, the ice really that's there yes. is from impacts yes. of asteroids over a long period of time. And since craters near the pole, South Pole in particular, where a big asteroid hit and, and left a lot of shaded areas because the sun doesn't beam directly down on it as the moon goes around the Earth once a month. So these areas um, are being identified more and more precisely. And that's where we want to land and build a base right around where we can have a fuel depot that will take the ice, very cold, heat it up to to, to melt the ice. Yes. And we have current going through the water, direct current, plus and minus, and we collect bubbles bubbling up the gas, hydrogen, and oxygen. Mm-hmm. Now we need to make that liquid hydrogen and oxygen that's mm-hmm. very, very cold. And we can use electricity to do that, or we can pipe it back down into these shaded craters. This is my idea. Right. In, but in layman's terms, I think for listeners today, what you're saying is these resources have been identified on the moon. They've also been identified on Mars. And we have the technology now to leverage those resources to create now uh, complexes and colonies. Uh, we know the science that will be needed and we know the resources exist. And I think that, you know, that gives us... Um, that gives us, I think, the, a legitimate reason to start that process and start that planning and maybe even to accelerate it. Now, I, I'm going to run out of time here, so I'm going to switch, I'm going to switch gears for two seconds here because I, I don't want, I don't want to lose you before we talk about your new book. No dream is too high. Uh, I had an opportunity to read it the last couple of days. Fantastic book. One of the important messages in your book is our attitude toward failure. And I believe that I read that one of your first experiments on the moon was a failure. Uh, you were deciding not to jump back up to the first rung of the ladder to determine how much force it was going to take you to make it to that first rung. Uh, but, you know, that was only one of many failures that you just looked at as an opportunity and, and rose above. And I, and I thought your book was extremely inspirational. Uh, what motivated you at this point to write this book? Uh, I've been trying to uh, create an impression among people that I am uh, very active in Ordinary things in addition to concentrating very much on a very inventive mind, a creative mind that looks at my experiences, my education, what other people are doing and tries to do it better than I see it. And in many ways, I have been very successful at doing that. I took... uh, I took an oath uh, when I entered West Point at age 17 to serve my country. 
That's precisely what motivates me now. But now I'm looking into the future and using the experiences, the knowledge, uh, and uh, what I can understand and make better for the future. And I've been very, very encouraged, even just recently, to realize that a fuel depot on the moon and a low orbit where we can send the less expensive commercial crew and cargo, that they can stay, stay for periods of time in orbit. And that's what we did in Apollo. Yes. We only stayed there for a short time, and it didn't have refueling. So yes. now we can launch landers with refueled uh, propulsion stages that they join up with without people in them and without fuel in them, and they can go to an orbit where they can uh, have a uh, reusable uh, fuel tanker get fueled up, put the people in them, then they land, the people get out, they refuel from the depot on the surface, go back up to the orbit, refuel again, and bring more people. We now have reusable landers and a very inexpensive way of getting people there. This is much, much better than we did during Apollo. Yes, absolutely. And but it but it takes, you know, it takes courage to be you. I mean, you put these ideas out there uh, starting let's just go back to MIT. I mean, you were the first guy to come up with a uh, an actual practical rendezvous and docking station, the same technology that we use actually today, a version of. Uh and now you've got the Aldrin cycle. You know, you put your ideas out there and you have such passion that it, it, failure doesn't doesn't seem to bother you. Well, uh, flying fighter aircraft, you want to shoot down the enemy aircraft, but you train to do that with a target that moves along. And now in your flight of four uh, aircraft that uh, are part of your friendly flight, You set up a pattern that allows you to make the near-perfect intercept of that cloth target as it's towed by. Yes. That's what I did with that target in Earth orbit for the Gemini spacecraft to get on the near-perfect trajectory, try to pick what that trajectory was, and then test out guidance and People hadn't thought of things like that, whether they were fighter pilots or not. Yes. Uh, then we did that so well in the Gemini program, the pilots were, uh, the astronauts were familiar with it. So we carried over and did that in Apollo because it had adopted a much more efficient method of going to the moon than was previously used, mm-hmm. which would use two Saturn Vs. Now, unfortunately, Mr. Aldrin, I hate to stop you because we could talk to you for hours. I mean, obviously, we don't get a guest uh, often that has so much content to share with our audience. And I want to thank you for the time that you've given us today. Before we say goodbye, I want to take a moment to thank you for your service to our country. Thank you, Mr. Aldrin. Well, I want to thank all the veterans 
that are listening in and people overseas. Uh, we are making America great again. Thank you, Mr. Aldrin. My guest next week is rumored to be at the top of the GOP candidate's pick as vice presidential running mate. Former governor of Arizona Jan Brewer will be joining us to talk about the measures Arizona took to secure the state's southern borders and crack down on illegal immigration. Don't miss Jan Brewer next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, and I want to tell you about a new sponsor of the Costa Report, Michael Zwirling, the founder of ZBS Radio Associates. Michael, or MZ as he's known, is a self-made millionaire who's operated KSCO AM 1080 in Santa Cruz, California for over 25 years. But what's truly fascinating is that MZ didn't make his fortune in radio or by working for others. He built his wealth by thinking outside the box, and now he wants to share his success with you to help you get out of the rut of working day after day just to pay your bills. In the coming months, you're going to hear tips on this program from MZ and people who have followed his advice. Pay close attention, keep an open mind, and then check out the videos and websites he recommends. There's still opportunity in the land of opportunity. Let MZ show you how easy it is to turn your financial situation around today and do it all on your own terms. Maybe you live in fear of your utility bill. Maybe you're tired of the pain. If you want to understand your bill, call 831-900-1001. Call 831-900-1001 and get your PG&E bill analyzed for free. Call Your Energy Concepts at 831-900-1001. That's 831-900-1001. They're right here in the Bay Area. Your Energy Concepts. It's always open house at the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, and you are always invited to walk right in and join the discussion. Hello, I am Mike Young, and I love talking real estate with all the experts and with you. So get a jump on the Real Estate Weekend every Friday, 7 p.m. on the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, right here on Listen and Be Heard Radio KSCO. The Mike Young Real Estate Hour is brought to you by Thunderbird Real Estate, Real People Selling Real Estate, by Rick Williams at American Pacific Mortgage, and by Steve Manville at Farmers Insurance. Friday at 7. Surfing Northern California for over 65 years. This is KSCO Santa Cruz. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.